Welcome to another edition of Expanding Mind. I'm your host, Eric Davis, continuing our conversations about the cultures of consciousness. And one uh, site, strong site, at least in my life, for uh, the cultures of consciousness is Big Sur, uh, one of the more extraordinarily beautiful places on the planet, at least that I've ever seen, uh, and very much a, uh, a sacred site in uh, California history, not simply for the Native Americans who treated it as such, and its, uh, its various hot springs and extraordinary uh, uh, access to uh, waters and mountains, uh, but also uh, for the, uh, the Yankees who showed up. People have been going down to that area and uh, exploring the mysteries for a very long time. Uh, if you include sort of Carmel as part of the strip of the coast that then goes down south towards the more extraordinarily steep Big Sur, uh, you got all sorts of characters. Jack London and other Bohemians were going out in the woods and holding bizarre uh, ritualistic parties uh, at the turn of the 19th century. And Robinson Jeffers was uh, singing his spiritual, archaic, uh, earthy uh, prose songs and poetry songs up and down that once very, very rugged and very remote coast. And later on, Henry Miller and the other beats would go down to Big Sur to hang out and commune with the stars and the, and the wind. And then, of course, the Esalen Institute, uh, named for one of the Indian tribes that were in the region, uh, set up shop in the 1960s and has been a center of consciousness culture uh, ever since. Uh, one of the things I, I do when I go to Big Sur is that it's there's something extraordinary about the, the, the uh, this, both the steepness of the mountains and the presence of the sea. And you feel almost like you're squeezed between these two elements. And it's beautiful, but it's also a bit unnerving in a way. It's not a mellow place, even though it has a great gentleness to it as well. And the the ocean gets very deep very quickly. So it's like you're you're not just, you know, by a long beach where it's just takes forever to get out to the to the deep sea. It's really more like the this is a place where the the earth and the sea come together in really an extraordinary way. So it's an amazing place. And of course, uh, if, if you've been, uh, if you're a big Sur connoisseur, you've been uh, up on the latest news in January and February when we had uh, extraordinary storms here in California, uh, not just one part of the road, but two parts of the road uh, were washed out, you know, essentially uh, isolating uh, the area and, and causing all sorts of havoc and changing the local ecosystem and economic system and cultural system extraordinarily, including uh, places like Esalen and other uh, spas and places that uh, where tourists go. So it really, uh, really radically uh, shifted the area. And then just a few days ago, there was another mudslide, probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest mudslide in, in California history, at least in terms of its destruction of um of significant property, in this case being uh, uh, about a third of a mile of, ro of road uh, that was one of the ac access points, so it further blocks off people uh, depending on where they are and rendering the area even more relatively uninhabitable for uh, human folks, at least human folks who require basic services, uh, and will probably remain that way for, for quite some time. So some extraordinarily uh, powerful natural 
a payback, if you will, if you if you look at the, <laughs> the human beings as being rather hubristic in their uh, settlement of the land, but uh, one way or the other, it's uh, it's made this remarkable place uh, more isolated and, in some weird sense, more magical, more strange. What's it like? What are there people still living there, et cetera, et cetera? So I had already been interested in these questions, talking to some other friends who uh, live in the area about their experiences of of staying put and. You know, the relationship to law and to services, it's like, hey, we know we a lot of us fantasize about the, you know, the end of the world. It's like what happens when like the services go out and there you are, you're stuck there. How do you make do? Do people leave? Do they stay? What do they do? So I was interested in all these questions. And then coincidentally, uh, I got uh, news from uh, uh, my uh, my friend Fletcher Tucker that his new record. Uh, is uh, all about his Big Sur experience. And I've known Fletcher uh, from the uh, the label that he's run since 2005 called Gnome Life. And they really stuck out for me because there's a, a sort of an extra emphasis on the sort of analog, natural, organic, spiritual, freaky, folky, earthy, pagan vibe in both the music of a lot of the bands that uh, that he's released and artists, including guitarist Sean Smith, Daniel Higgs, the, the wonderful uh, madman of poetic verse, and, uh, and then Bird by Snow, another uh, a great act that's been on Gnome Life. But even the packaging, and a lot of them are on cassettes. There's really that sense of that, that analog return to the whole uh, endeavor. And indeed, Fletcher has been living in Big Sur for, for many years and uh, really trying to commune with the land, you know, like a, like some of the other guests we've had on the show, someone who sort of left a more uh, conventional, citified uh, uh, upbringing and, and just try to see what it means to live closer to the land, to open up to it, to participate with the mystery, to understand it in a, um, and, and to work with it in all, a whole variety of ways. And that really comes through on this record, which also includes some wonderful little essays uh, from Fletcher about the experience of living there and and trying to you know live a more analog life, that, uh, as well as reflections on some of the poetics of the place and uh, some really great lyrics and really wonderful music, haunting, a little spooky, gentle, beautiful, meditative, um, you know, freaky, folky, electronic, uh, in the most organic of senses. It's a, it's a really wonderful record called Cold Spring, and we'll be listening to a chunk of it a little bit later. But before then, uh, let's just bring uh, Fletcher onto the show. So, Fletcher, thanks for joining us on Expanding Mind. Thank, thanks to you, too, Eric. Um, I've been a fan of your writing and listening to the show for years now, so it's, it's a real honor and a pleasure. Yeah, I mean, congratulations on the record. I mean, I, you know, uh, you, you guys have put out, you know, over 30 releases. And, you know, some of them I love. And some of them, they, they, they sound nice. They're kind of pretty. But they don't necessarily, like, hit me in my in my musical heart. And I wasn't really sure, you know, I got Cold Spring. And I was like, well, maybe it's just kind of Fletcher's, you know, he wants to put in with some of his own music. And it'll be kind of gentle and nice and whatever. And I put it on and I was like, it kind of instantly transported. I mean, the whatever, whatever you know, Mojo, you were working there in the, uh, amongst the, the Redwoods, uh, really has made it to the wax. I mean, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, 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 it's a haunted and haunting in the best sense 
uh, record of with the spirit of place and the way you've, you've woven in uh, nature sounds, et cetera, et cetera. So congratulations on that. Well, thanks so much. Thank you. I uh, mean, with what you've just said, plus the little intro, I feel like we could just call it quits and make this the shortest <laughs> Expanding Mind episode so far. Yeah, but unfortunately, we got an hour to film. So, oh, okay. but first, I'd actually <laughs> rather, I want to hear a little stuff. bit about the story. Let's get to the record later. I want to hear more about your story uh, living in Big Sur, and then particularly what these changes have wrought for you. I know you're no longer there, but you spent some time in the in the isolated Big Sur zone and, and just what that was like. I really, I'd really love to hear about it. Sure. Um, well, I think maybe, I, I guess maybe I can kind of move chronologically. That's probably the, the most um, accessible way to do things. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, I moved down to Big Sur uh, seven years ago, about seven years ago. But I actually grew up um, in Pacific Grove, which is um, just an hour north of Big Sur. It's, like, it's between Carmel and Monterey. Um, and so I would uh, camp in Big Sur when I was a kid. Um, I, every summer we'd go down there for at least a week. Um, sometimes we'd go for two weeks. My, my parents had... Um, I think a really good insight that it was important to like, um, when we'd go out for time in nature, that there was like a, a time period, uh, of adjustment, you know, it would take like a, f a few days just to kind of get used to like a different rhythm of living. And which I think it's even truer now considering how much screen time people spend and stuff, but this was in the eighties and nineties. So there was a lot less screens other than, uh, the ubiquitous, um, uh, television, but uh, so we'd go for a week or two uh, camping down there. So it, it um, basically, since I was really small, it's always held like a very important place in my um, in the center of my being. Sort of this reality that like Big Sur is is like the wild, feral cousin of of every other place in the in the Central Coast. That it's sort of existing in a space outside of time undomesticated and un, um, untamed, un, un, and just basically not, not that messed with, and that's sort of by virtue of the fact that the landscape is so extreme, which you, you alluded to in your, in your intro. But um, I moved down there in um, 2007 with my wife. We both moved to the Esalen Institute, also you also mentioned, to do their, um, at the time they had uh, a world-class organic agriculture apprenticeship. So we, we went to study that and then to also study uh, Gestalt awareness practice, which is one of the, they, they, they say that there's, you know, it's the religion of no religion down there, but if, if Esalen needs to claim a, to plant a flag in the ground, it's probably Gestalt awareness practice that is their, their, um, their thing. Um, so we, we, we moved down there. We worked on the farm for a couple of years, and then, and then we moved off into the, the greater um, Big Sur landscape up to a beautiful uh, ridge called Partington Ridge, which was, uh, which was where um, Henry Miller had his homestead and also um, a very important um, cultural Big Sur character named Jaime D'Angelo, who settled up there at the top of the ridge and... Um, I think 1918, something around there, and he's 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 one of the very first and deepest Bohemian dudes 
um, of of the area who um, did a lot of beautiful writing and and investigating um, the, the, into the the mythopoetic spirit of the place. Um, that's interesting. I didn't know that he actually lived in Big Sur. I knew that I knew that he haunted the coast. Um, but yeah, I, I I found out. I can't remember. I think I found out about Jaime Dangelo through maybe it was uh, it was probably I guess Gary Snyder's work, and then and talking to to the poet Dale Pendle, who's sort of in that that same current that you really talk about in your you know at the beginning of your of the booklet in the for the for the uh, uh, release you have some kind of citations of, uh, of poetic ancestors and, you know, mm. the, the, ine the inevitable Chinese poet Han Shan, but you also have a nice little chunk of Hami Dangelo there. And he really was kind of the, the granddaddy bohemian in the, in the region, even before Miller and those guys by, by a number of decades. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, he also was, um, he was also a real landsman, you know. I mean, he moved to Big Sur by he drove 200 horses over the mountains from King City to move to Big Sur uh, to like make a horse ranch up at the top of of Partington Ridge, um, which uh, you know at the time the, there's no. I mean, <laughs> we're kind of returning back to this time of of limited resources and infrastructure. But at the time, there was no there was no infrastructure. There was no highway. There was no, uh, there were no roads to speak of on the ridges. There was a, a coast road, which is an old dirt road that you can still be on parts of, which which follows the the ridge line at the top. But um, other than that, I mean, it was a, I think it took a day and a half or or two days to take your your horse or your or your mule to Monterey, and it took like um, five days um, to get to King City, which is where you'd go if you needed. A lot of supplies, and twice a year, a steamer ship would come down from uh, San Francisco and drop off the big stuff for folks down at Partington Cove, and they'd hold a multi-day party down there called the Roundup, where everybody would just hang out and wait because they couldn't be exactly sure when the boat would come, and people would get married, and they'd celebrate birthdays, and they'd they'd drink moonshine, and and uh, Jaime was right at the center of all that. It's great, and that those those ghosts are part of uh, part of your 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 own experience there. It seems like part for you being there. It wasn't just about the land, but also about plugging into kind of a a poetic tradition of of characters who had been drawn to the place and found their own way to balance you know artistic creation or spiritual exploration and the physical experience of of being in this extreme place. Yeah, absolutely. I t t totally, totally, and and the you know the the extreme nature of the land remains the same, and so that that experience is is concurrent. And then there's a little, but you know, unfortunately, the time is different. Uh, so I can't really be a Jaime D'Angelo, you know. I mean, all the land is claimed, so I can't I can't set up my my homestead up at the top of the ridge. Um, uh, but, uh, but, uh, in terms of the, in terms of just the, you know, the lived experience of the wilderness, um, that is eternal and, um, <clears throat> yeah. And he in particular, but, but some other folks, I'm glad you mentioned Robinson Jeffers too. He's another kind of, um, remote teacher of mine from the area of just, just guides, uh, you know, 
people who are working with uh, working with the land and with the kind of the more discreet and subtle forces of the poetry and mythology that arises from the land. It's important well, to have guides. Yes, yeah, so, <laughs> absolutely. But but since we're talking about, you mentioned Gestalt. You did some some work there, and there's obviously a very meditative sense to your music and some of yeah. the writing you have is about kind of getting into another relationship to to the place. So I, I, I'd like to hear you talk a little bit about, so you move there, you set up shop, you're, you're doing this record label, you're trying to, you know, make the make the, the living work out, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How did you practice with the, the land? How did you you know, approach the possibility that you could become more intimate with the place, more aware of its flows or, or its subtle energies, as you put it. Yeah. Like, what were some of the pragmatic practices that you adopted in order to, you know, whether in terms of the, your music or just in terms of your own consciousness, sort of open up to this remarkable place? Yeah. Well, you know, the... Uh... The main thing uh, that I've come to is uh, is the practice of participation um, when it when it comes to I mean uh, you know to, just to put a kind of a finer point on it I really my goal in moving there was to was you know is loft was lofty it's it's a goal of inhabitation it's a goal of like deep rich um, long lasting connection with with place and with with all the beings seen and unseen in the place um and i feel like what is demanded most is participation and that means um it means a lot of different things obviously but just on like a super simple practical level just getting just getting outside and and walking the land moving through the landscape opening my senses as as often and as much as possible to take in, you know, a full sensory experience, like getting down on my hands and knees and smelling the the plants and smelling the soil and, and uh, you know, learning the names and the habits of the animals and the plants in the landscape so that I can discern my relations in the landscape and, and, um, and uh, greet them and identify them uh, and then become aware of their patterns and their rhythms, you know, when does the uh, when did the Douglas irises bloom? You know, when did the when is the acorn going to do its mast? And when it, when are the oak, coast oak, coast live oak trees going to do their masting? You know, when when um, when do the uh, the um, the yellow shafted flickers come through? When do the red shafted flickers come through? You know, like things like that that are basically just it's just a process of noticing. Um, and um, remembering that um, facilitates like a a, um, a kind of a more of a unified um, presence with the cycles themselves, the cycles of the place. Um, I think cycles are very very important when it comes to inhabitation or making con- deep contact with a natural landscape. Um, yeah. One of, the, one of the things that interests me about that, like just what you're saying, is how. Uh... It combines, you know, different parts of ourselves. Like on, on, on one level, there's a kind of, uh, you know, rational process where you're, you know, you're learning the names of things. You're di- learning distinct how to distinguish things. You have senses from books and from other people about 
ways that they behave. You start to notice uh, uh, certain patterns where that where where you're more likely to find certain wildflowers, et cetera, et cetera. And at the same time, there's these kind of intuitive or sensory processes that really aren't th- that rational, and mm-hmm. they they marry each other, especially right. with with being outside. Right. Totally. Totally. I mean, it's it's everything all at once. Like an an actual an actual deep full experience of wild nature is is an engagement of of all the faculties, I believe. I mean, that's how I see it anyway. And, and, um, and then there's, you know, uh, there's a lot that happens subconsciously. There's this, and uh, I have great respect and admiration for, you know, uh, these human organisms themselves and their ability to, to tune without any, to tune to a landscape or, or, you know, I guess we could go further out and Say that you know there's many things it can tune to, but it's in this case tune to a landscape and the rhythms of a, of a landscape and 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 the beings that you share the space with without conscious thought. Um, I've I've had multiple experiences like that. Um, just to kind of share one would be just you know one of the places we were living, we were surrounded by um, there was a, a large uh, murder of crows that lived in the eucalyptus trees around. Uh, uh, the yurt that we were living in, and um, so we'd listen to the bird, their bird language every morning and every evening. And I didn't do it. I didn't listen with any intention to decode what they were, uh, the, you know, what they were communicating about. Um, but but it was a it was just part of my life. It was just a lived part of my life. And then there was this one day where I was you know working out in the compost pile and. Uh, the crow, one of the crows made a sound that I had never heard before, and it just, my blood ran cold. It was, I, I just felt, uh, I felt terror wash over my, uh, myself. And, um, and I turned around, and the crow was being just bombarded by a red-tailed hawk. It was just coming down and slamming on top of it. And it was, uh, the crow was just making this terrible cry of, of, of fear and pain. And um, I, I felt it, and I don't take, I don't, I don't feel, uh, I don't have like an egoistic pride about it because I didn't do anything to get that knowledge. I didn't, I didn't work toward it. I just, it just naturally, uh, I naturally form, my organism naturally formed a connection with, with the place and with the beings that I shared the place with, just through virtue of time and. Uh, and being there, putting myself there. You know, it's like, it's the same as, same mentality that, that people express for meditation in general. You just have to put yourself there. You just have to, you have to sit down on the Zafu. Um, it's the same thing with um, inhabitation. You just have to be there. Um, I mean, there's more that goes into it, but that's a big part of it. And what, how did you bring that kind of sense into the uh recording process like you know i mean yeah you know obviously you include nature sounds and sort of live recordings but i you know again i get this sense that like there was a, almost a ritualistic element to the recording at least some of these songs or the inspiration for these songs it, it felt like you were trying to bring in some of that participatory feeling into the record and i just yeah. you know in a way that's, in a way it's kind of a pretentious thing to try to do and in a way it's it's the most important thing to try to do and i'm wondering how how you approached that that challenge yeah 
Well, I'm okay with pretentious. I mean, you know, <laughs> pretentious is like, uh, I feel like usually if, you, if you're really trying to do something uh, that's, that's somewhat challenging or, or edgy, that's, that's, that's like the, the cynic's first um, line of defense. Is like, oh, you're just being pretentious. Um, but, uh, but, uh, so, yeah, so if, if that's going to be the, if that's going to be the loftiest criticism <laughs> handed to me, I'm fine with that. But, um, um, you're, yeah, your sense is totally correct. I mean, uh, you know, one of the main things is, is that I just really took my time with the record. I spent four years recording it. Um, so, uh, by, with, by, so I, you know, I kind of, other records that I've made in the past, I've had more urgency around. And um, with this album, I really wanted to take away that sense of urgency and just let um, let the songs and recordings unfold um, naturally and have things develop and then kind of die away and then rise up again. And, um, and that was the process over four years. I made many, many, many recordings uh that are not represented in the 42 minutes of cold spring um but uh my my process was you know a process of really trying to open um myself to what what to me uh what i regard as the like the songs of the place so like the mythologies and poetries and and soundscapes of the land themselves um and process of opening to opening myself enough to let those things uh, come through me, let the let the poetry of the place come through me, let the songs come through. And for me, usually that was a usually was the result of like a very arduous hike up to the top of a up to the top of a, one of the ridges, and and then sitting facing east or west, depending on my mood at the time, and 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 just uh, things would arrive. Some, you know, sometimes it was a little gentler, and it would just, I, you know, I'd come out of the river, and I'd have a, and there'd be some some words or or ideas um, floating to the surface. But um, it's kind of like you know, in in they talk uh, in, in um, sometimes in Hindu philosophy they talk about how yoga is like the physical practice that accompanies the meditation. You got to do the you do the yoga, and then you're re- and then you're ready to do the, a deeper meditation. I feel that way. Uh, my my own personal experience with hiking is like that. If I if I if I really you know move my body and and um, give some sweat back to the land, then when I get to the the top where I can catch my breath, then there's like a potential for like a really rich um, unfolding um, meditative state where songs can can come um yes it's funny you mentioned that because i just i i just went uh, backpacking for five days in the los padres wilderness you know south of south of big sur uh near near ojai and uh i was really interested in watching my own mind you know how my meditated mind was responding to the environment both the challenges of the you know carrying all the weight and the uh, etc etc and it was funny i had i did have the experience and i'm not even going for music or I play, you know, I play guitar, but I'm not a, really a musician in any focused way and certainly haven't made any recordings and don't write songs. 
And I, I, a few times I would get, I would get like lyrics and, and songs that I, then I would start to sing to kind of, as I carry myself along. And, uh, and it really had to do with like, and it was interesting to watch the, the possibilities of, of, a, of meditation in relationship to the experiences. And one of the things that I found that was a really great vector uh, was, uh, was, was sent. I mean, you mentioned that mm-hmm. earlier, but everything was in bloom. The per, per, I mean, not everything, but you know, the yucca was in bloom, the, the tons of purple sage, black sage, uh, mm-hmm. it was all this really rich, um, fragrance everywhere. And I found that like, you know, if you, if you just pay attention to your eyes, there's sometimes a kind of a distance cause you're looking at things, looking at things, moving your head around, searching, you know, always probing, but you start to smell or you stop mm. and smell and it's like, you just kind of melt. You know? So there, there's <laughs> totally. definitely ways to bring like that kind of practice into, uh, into just the very physical act of being, uh, being in wild places. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think to some degree, maybe our eyes are a little bit more of like a polluted sense, you know, in just that, just that they engage so much with the technologies and, and, um, again, with the screens and, but our, you know, we're not, we're so far anyway. We're not smelling the screens. We're not smelling the technologies. It's like a, we can close our eyes and it's just a, and breathe deeply and it's just a pure experience of. It can be anyway a pure experience of presence rather than kind of tied up with all these other experiences. Um, you know, from from other places. Other, um, but. Um, but yeah, something you know, I don't know. You, you caught, kind of caught my ear with when you were talking about how the 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 songs kind of came unbidden to you um, in your hiking. Just reminded me of of um, of the the fact or the reality that that you know most indigenous groups, um, most indigenous people believe or believe that that songs are that that songs come from the other side that they're they're gifts from like a, a spirit world or a dream world that they're not um they're not really of this plane um and uh uh I, I, it's not it's not a particularly common modern perspective you know i don't i don't feel like most songwriters are probably uh thinking that or engaging with that but but maybe to some degree everybody is because like the the kind of the the spring of creativity or the well of creativity is is profoundly mysterious even to people that think that they have it figured out you know um, it's true it's totally true it just keeps coming back that metaphor of you know re- receiving and the more romantic you are the more willing or use you're used you're, you you are to use that language and the, the more yeah. kind of rational you are the more you kind of hedge around it but if you actually ask people what their experiences are they're often quite mysterious and 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 sort of almost spooky sometimes when they, mm-hmm. you know, um, but since we're talking about your music, let's hear a, a track. We just have a, a, just a brief, the, just the beginning of, uh, of the track. I became smoke. So if you could cue that up, that'd be great.
It's uh, yeah, it's kind of nice. It was sort of just what we were talking about. Check this trail hunting for songs and uh, yeah. What what's what and, and the I became smoked. Did that refer to a particular experience you had? Oh, um, you know, um, yeah, I, I suppose so. I mean, it it refers more to like a a series of experiences or or many types of experience of just um of just that uh the the small eye or the self kind of dissolving into like the greater field of 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 the beings and the and the land itself you know so i became smoke uh unfurling on the wind um and then the the then the line kind of goes on further to to just describe the inherent interconnectivity i say that the um thin clouds hanging low married redwood trees and the starlight hidden by the day was part of me um so you know the land itself offers all these beautiful teachings and metaphors for for um for oneness and for um for like deep connection you know that kind of kind of the same thing that um most wisdom traditions have been saying over and over again for thousands of years but feel like it came from somewhere and it probably came from the wild source um first you know which is just oh wow you know just looking looking at the horizon and seeing the stands of redwood trees be threaded together by fog and realizing that like the physical and the non-physical are always in a little in a dance together and um uh yeah and that they're whatever space between them is is imagined and if not imagined easily overcome yeah that that makes that's very 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 well said uh it comes through in the in the poetry as well as the the vibe of the of the music um i'm also just kind of curious uh what happened to you to especially this sense the sense of intimacy with the land of a of kind of trying amidst you know your your daily tasks and using the internet and having a small record label and dealing with all the kind of ordinary, you know, mundane postmodern human things, you know, as you're, as you're developing, as you ha have this relationship to the area you are, how did that change when, uh, when Big Sur changed, uh, you know, back in, in, in January and February, I, I'd really love to hear your experience of that, uh, sudden uptick in isolation and, and downtick and, in, in uh, convenience. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, so in seven years, we've we've ridden some of these waves. My wife and I, we've ridden some of these waves before, um, because there every winter is is an extreme winter in Big Sur by virtue of the fact that the the coastline is so extreme. And you know, frankly, the highway, you know, it, it was a bad idea. I mean, it, it's it's not it's 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 a uh, it's kind of an unsustainable idea that way the highway is cut into that mountain in most places. But, um, you know, we did, uh, uh, yeah, I've done long ch chunks of time without power and without electricity and a few years up on, um, Partington Ridge with no internet access. I used to have to go down to, um, I used to have to go down to the, to the local pub and, and do all my emails for, uh, gnome life and, and and mail out get all the get all the orders queued up and and I had like a kind of like a mailing station in the back of my truck with like all the supplies and stuff and I'd box up records in the parking lot and mail them 
at the post office. It was a, it was a pretty, pretty hilarious um, way to run a small business. Um, but uh, but the situation now is. Um, I try to remember the first time I went to Big Sur. I was a I was a kid, and again, I think what uh, is most striking about the place is the the sense of being squeezed between the land and the water. And it does feel a little bit like a lot of pe- people really shouldn't be there, or if they're there, they're there uh, living very uh, very lightly. And uh, uh, and of course, the Esalen Institute has a particularly beautiful piece of property. You know, if, if people have the opportunity to visit Esalen, it's really worthwhile. Not just because so much stuff has happened there. Uh, but because uh, it's it's an extraordinarily beautiful place, and it's expensive to uh, to visit. But you know, if you have to, you have to. You know, it's uh, 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 okay. Now we're we're going to have to try to Skype Fletcher in, although he might have lost that service as well. So is he there? Let's go, Fletcher. He seems to have lost phone service. Uh, that's not so fun for us. Yeah, he's, his Skype is also offline. Um, so uh, I guess I could just do a monologue for the <laughs> I get that about about Esalen. I'm not sure how interesting that will be to folks, but this is, I guess, what you do when you're uh, uh, in a, into a live uh, show, and we're just going to keep trying him. And so uh, uh, we'll do that. Uh, anyway, talk more about Esalen. Um, it's, it seems to me that it's significant that Esalen wound up being where it was because even though there were, you know, practical reasons for its location, Michael Murphy, one of the founders of the Institute in the 1960s, along with Dick Price, uh, his grandmother owned this property and it was an old bathhouse and, uh, it you know they uh, uh, um, you know ran, ran it you know there were bikers who would come down or whatever and so they that property was just kind of handed to him so in that that sense it would just happen to be that he was from the Salinas Valley uh, and um, so you know they just got it there but it also just seems really significant that this this incredibly important place where so much of consciousness culture you know good and bad. Uh, was focused, magnified, and then went out and exploded into the world, and especially in the 70s and 80s, came from this particular uh, part of California, not just because of its striking sense of intensity. Again, it's beautiful, but also a bit severe, uh, but also because of the hot springs. Of course, it's famous for its hot springs. But you only really have hot springs in a place where there's, you know, geothermal activity, i.e. it's the kind of place where, you know, lots of stuff like mudslides and earthquakes happen. And indeed, that's kind of true of California in general. And uh, sometimes it really seems to be the case that the nature of the actual land has some kind of relationship to what sort of cultural expressions humans make in that place, even in the modern world. We don't think this way as modern people. In fact, it, it might sound a little crazy. How could the, the land itself actually shape us? We're just moving across it, et cetera, et cetera. 
But uh, when you get to a place like Esalen or when you when you look at where the San Andreas Fault lies through California as a whole and all these remarkable places it goes through, and you think about California as this sort of edge place where new ideas are invented, where there's sort of uh, intensification of cultural tendencies and then all of this creative, you know, incredibly innovative stuff, you know, again, with its own dark side, uh, unquestionably uh, arises. It's not a, a story so much about uh, utopia, but about intensity. Um, and it always struck me that that California is part of the story of California, why it is the way it is, why it's done what it's done, has to do with the particular character uh, of the land. So I think we're going to, let's see, we, I think we're going to have Fletcher's Colin. So I, I was just, uh, yeah, I was just wondering, like, what what it was like in the before you decided you had to leave. What just what, were were people? Was there law? Was how'd you get food? Was it? I mean, did you like? Oh, are we going to try to live this way? I mean, it's such a such a strange, uh, not normal, you know, not no modern situation to be in. How how did you guys respond? Yeah, totally. I mean, it was no. So no, there was no law. Um, every. Every everybody who has been in Big Sur for a little while has at least a month or two months worth of food, um, like dried beans, dry grains, things like that, um, because this stuff happens. Um, you know, smaller versions of this have happened repeatedly throughout my time there. Um, and uh, but we did uh, we did have a wonderful experience of uh, one of the guys who lived on the ranch that I lived on. He he helps take care of the property where the Big Sur Bakery is, and uh, he uh, all their food in their freezer was going bad. <laughs> so he went down and emptied out their freezer, and we had like three nights of cookouts of like incredibly fancy fish and uh, and cheeses and and, and uh, pates and things like that that they had in their freezer. Um, so we were living high on the hog for a couple of days there before we had where I had to dig into like the 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 ground acorn meal and things like that to extend my uh extend my bread recipes um but um uh yeah every you know i was i i like to forage so i was making half forage meals anyway just just for the fun of it um but uh most of the time everybody was kind of holed up in their own little in their own little um sovereign encampment because uh because the storms were so extreme people didn't really want to venture off their ridges and residential roads um but there was one day where i decided to see it was a clear day i decided to see if i could make my way to to esalen and i uh, got down to the highway and i and i had to drive about five or ten miles an hour the entire um entire uh 30 30 20 mile drive from the ranch I was living to Esalen and kind of weaving in and out of these smaller tree downs and landslides. It really looked like a post-apocalyptic landscape. I think um, once Cal, if California ever runs out of money to, uh, to pay for that road, um, it's just going to take one season and it's going to become a, 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 a totally, uh, a totally cut off anarchistic, uh, either wasteland or paradise. I don't know which way the, cookie will crumble but um it was it was unique yeah what was it like at uh at esalen i mean what was what were you know how did they respond to it when did you when you made it down there yeah 
they're they've been so cool about you know trying to support the community and the the Esalen baths are open twice a day now to anyone who lives in Big Sur um so people can come down and kind of have a respite they're down to a super super skeleton crew of i think about 20 people um is usually there's usually there's about 100 folks that work there um and um and they're they're hurting cuz they there's no there's no likely opening date now that this massive slide happened. Um, and they're a nonprofit organization, you know, so they don't have money saved. Um, but, uh, so I think, you know, I think that the admin, the administrative folks down there were pretty stressed out. And I think the people who were just working there were having a pretty ballistic, ballistic experience with empty hot tubs and, um, all of the kale you can harvest. Um, <laughs> You know, it's funny. It's also like a really big part of the local economy, too. I mean, like a lot of people who live in Big Sur rely on Esalen for, you know, massage therapists and other folks, too. Yeah. So it's the whole the whole place is 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 changed really significantly and will remain that way for, for quite some time. I think it's going to keep changing and I think people are going to keep leaving. I mean, um, I a lot, a lot, a lot of people left before we did. We Like I said, we just left at the end of April. Um, so we, we hung in there for, for a couple of months, uh, hiking our food in and out over the half mile hiking trail. And, um, uh, and occasionally there's a mountain pass road that's open a couple of times a day to locals. And occasionally I do this like 300 mile round trip drive to Monterey and back with like all the heavy liquid provisions that we couldn't, couldn't or didn't want to carry in. And, um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it, you know, and ordinarily it's a population of about 1100 folks and it's down to like 300 people living there now. Um, and it probably will continue to drop because it doesn't seem like there's a likely, uh, a likely recontact point now that there's a, the super, the super mud Creek slide, um, which I guess was on the cover of the Chronicle, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a crazy amount of, of material, man. It's tons and tons of this stuff. It's, you know, do you like it on a, on a kind of more like, uh, like it's just interesting that you're, you're, you've put out this love letter to the Big Sur at the same moment that, that it's because it's like, it's both become part of, you know, pop culture for a, for a brief second. And also that it's yeah. kind of changed its, its whole sort of, uh, it's whole sort of st status. There's almost a kind of poetry to it. Yeah. Well, I literally, I literally finished the last song at, on like the, the morning of the day of the first rains, the, uh, in, in January, 2017. And then the rain started to come and then, and then everything started to, um, uh, you know, be reclaimed by oblivion. <laughs> and, uh, it's an interesting position for me to be in because like, like you said, you know, artistically, I guess, like, because the, the music is music of the place, but I also, I made it with the intention of sharing it with, with the, the greater world and it being acting as kind of an uncut umbilical cord to the place, but also to the, also to the primordial and mythological aspects of all places that, you know, are just kind of covered up by our civilization. 
So, um, I, I certainly don't, I certainly don't hold like a grandiose perspective of like, like the, the land is doing something because of me or for me. But if I just think about it from my own perspective, well, I finished the record and, uh, it's the culmination of seven years of place-based living. And now I want to bring it out into the world and I'm actually being pushed out of my comfortable homestead nest by the natural forces of the place itself to to go out and um, to go out and tour and perform the record and and share it with people. So it's pretty it's pretty fitting and poetic. Um, uh, not end exactly. I don't I, I don't want to call it an end, but it's a fitting and poetic uh, chapter, end of a chapter. You should say. Well, it's also just a remarkable experience to sense, you know, how how uh, services, how places can change, and how close we are. Like you say, like going down that road towards Esalen and, and thinking, like you know, if this road wasn't maintained, it wouldn't take that long to begin to be reclaimed. And, and that's true of everything, everything around us. You know, I mean, the you know, you got you got to add, add on some millennia, but it, not that many millennia. I mean, especially the way things are made these days. Like if you don't maintain them, like a lot of these new houses and stuff there, they'll fall apart in, you know, 10 years, 20 years or whatever. And, you know, when you see when you add on any time, it makes you realize how how fra not fragile even, but just how evanescent civilization is. Mm -hmm. You know, it feels so solid and yet it's sort of already crumbling between our fingers all the time. Absolutely. Yeah, it's totally ephemeral. It just is. It's it, yeah. It was very telling. It's it's good. It's good information to 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 gather and to also have a lived experience of like this this thing that we that we think is so permanent is uh, <laughs> is totally impermanent and uh, and turns turns you know. I mean, I love Big Sur for that reason. That 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 the power of the land is is so on the surface. It's so apparent. Like that that creative edge, that edge between creation and destruction is, it's um, it's just uh, it's just there to observe, and it's a really sharp edge. So uh, you know, it, it's uh, uh, a landslide can change your life instantly, and um, and then at the same time, like these things that we sort of perceive as uh, destructive forces are actually in turn, you know, cr creative forces too. you know, like when the we had hurricane strength winds uh, at the, to accompany these 90 inches of rain and they brought down a bunch of old redwood trees and things like that. And that seems really destructive, but those trees are going to become little nursery trees for for saplings and kingdoms of moss and um you know there's uh there's a renewal that happens there too and then in terms of like the land just being cut off from tourists that's that's a really beautiful process of renewal i spent a lot of time in the back country in big sur and and the front country feels like the back country now there's way more animal activity there's a heck of a lot more um birds present and 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 making nests and migrating through just right in the front country everything feels calmer and um uh you know, more relaxed there was a kind of a tension that was happening before there 
Well, that's great. I think we're going to have to uh, wind it up there. So uh, thanks so much for joining us on, on Expanding Mind, Fletcher. My pleasure, Eric. Sorry about the technical difficulties. It's just another dimension of the ephemerality of our modern world. Exactly. Uh, something I like to celebrate, actually, <laughs> on this on this show, with, which, uh, which lets its, uh, its you know, its less uh, less slick side sometimes becomes quite present. But I prefer the uh, the mulch. Uh, so just want to let people know uh, Fletcher Tucker's new record is uh, Cold Spring on his own Gnome Life uh, label, which is really worth exploring uh, as well. And so uh, check that Until out. Until next week. Keep your minds open, and we're going to leave you with one more track from uh, Fletcher Tucker's record, something called Dark Teaching. Mm-hmm.